ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 13 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Judgment Day is upon me. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? Just keep it trickling the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello. You play to win the game. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Every August, I post a very lengthy fantasy football draft guide. Previously, it was on BigEasySportsTalk.com. Now it'll be featured on a new website that is in the works right now, fantasylawguide.com. I have bought the domain already, so don't be a domain squatter over there. Uh, But that website is supplementing this podcast. This year's fantasy draft guide is being called the Fantasy Law Guide. You see what I did there with that? And it'll be posted in the coming weeks. I plan to have this thing ready to roll out. August 24th is my target date. Fantasy drafts are later this year, so fear not. Most will be in the final week of August, and a lot will even be in the first 10 days of September. The opening kickoff is between the Texans and the Chiefs is September 10th. So I'm working hard to get this thing published every day, in fact, as well as creating the new website and, of course, work on this podcast on a weekly basis. Consistency is key, I've been told, and August, of course, is the busiest time of the year for me. But today's show is not about this year's fantasy law guide. It's about last year's fantasy draft guide. And I'm going to dissect and evaluate my own advice. How badly did I screw you over? Or did the guide actually help you win your fantasy football league? This is an effort by me to be more transparent and accountable and open and honest, as they say on The Bachelor. But in all seriousness, this is something that I wish all experts did. And unfortunately, a lot are too proud to acknowledge or even apologize for their mistakes. And as you will see, I'm not one of those experts. Maybe it's because I don't have thousands of followers trolling my feed or laughing at each and every mistake or wrong statement that I make. I'm not really sure. But I will never be somebody who claims to be perfect. And more importantly... I think that the public deserves to know who is really helping them get to the promised land and who is driving them off a cliff. So in all of this, hopefully we'll learn some things and get a few valuable takeaways. So let's begin with the news first. Tight end Jordan Reed has signed with the San Francisco 49ers. And Lord help him. I'm not sure why he continues to play football with seven documented concussions. I think that's an extremely dangerous and reckless way to live your life, but who am I to judge? Reed missed all of last season, and he's played under Kyle Shanahan before in Washington. And when healthy, he's shown that he is he can be outstanding. He's very smooth, got some wide receiver-like traits at the tight end position. He's a real mismatch over the middle of the field. But he's not been able to stay healthy, and he'll be the backup tight end to George Kittle. And actually, you know, I hope that there's not more to this signing than meets the eye. Because the 49ers and George Kittle are in the midst of contract negotiations right now. And from what I've heard, the two parties are pretty far apart in that endeavor. So I'm hoping that Reed isn't being added as insurance in case the Kittle, the Kittle, George Kittle holds out or... If he opts out for the season and the ad may involve the contract dispute indirectly. Maybe the Niners are trying to posture and maybe gain an inch of of leverage. Who's really to say, but I think that Reed can be a fine backup tight end for the 49ers for George Kittle. And maybe that suits him because it means there's a better chance to actually be able to stay healthy, but he's not on the fantasy radar unless George Kittle is out for whatever reason. This is definitely a situation you know, it's not a cause for concern, I would say. We're not on 
red alert yet here in terms of how you value George Kittle. However, it is a situation to monitor because if Reed was signed because those because there's something in the water about the George Kittle contract negotiations, then then yeah, that may be concerning. Yeah, we may have to watch over that. So next bit of news, ESPN's Brady Henderson reports that the Seahawks are monitoring free agent wide receivers Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon. So one of the main things going for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf in round five is their lack of competition for targets in this offense. So even if they sign Josh Gordon, it would be limiting their biggest strength in terms of their fantasy outlooks. And offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer already one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league, much to the dismay, huge dismay of fantasy managers and fans who want to see this offense run through Russell Wilson and, and kind of be opened up in like a spread offense. And we've seen that in spurts, but the Seahawks are very committed to the run. And the Seahawks only resort to letting Russ bail them out when they're trailing. And the additions that Seattle has made on defense, Jamal Adams, a few others, it's possible that they aren't forced to let Russell Wilson play hero ball as much. And it's also worth mentioning that they added tight end Greg Olson and they added wide receiver Philip Dorsett. He's currently their third receiver, Dorsett is. But despite that, all this is to say that the fact that the passing game is really a two-man show between Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, they, they need that high target share. And adding Josh Gordon would likely cause them to slide around in average draft position. And adding Antonio Brown would cause their ADP to plummet. I mean, Even with the eight-game suspension that's been handed out by Roger Goodell to Antonio Brown, because when AB returned, he would sink the consistency of Lockett and Metcalf in what I've already mentioned is a very run-first offense. So the Seahawks are monitoring Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon, and we will monitor this situation as well. And the last bit of news today, the NFL's deadline for players opting out of the 2020 season is now expected to be Thursday at 4 p.m. And that will provide for some clarity, and I think it will at least make it relatively safe to start scheduling your fantasy drafts after that date. And I wouldn't recommend right after that date, not you know this week or, or next week. I'm looking to schedule my drafts at the end of August, in the, in the 20s of August, but some people may get antsy, and at least after Thursday, we will know who is opting out of the season and who is not opting out of the season. So you can start scheduling your drafts for the future, but I think it's safe to schedule your draft after Thursday. So Okay, so let's go to the main event, which is putting my work on trial. Every Christmas, my mom's side of the family gets together, and it's, it's a huge family. There's like 36 of us. And my Uncle Carl from Charlotte leads what is called a transparency circle, where all of us gather around in a circle, and a question is posed, and it's usually something really deep, like, what do you find your purpose in life to be, or talk about something you really regret and how you've changed since, and or talk about your professional goals or areas you want to improve in the next year. One question is posed each year and everyone one by one gets on the floor and the couches in a circle and they give their response. I, I, I swear, I swear this happens. And usually each response lasts a few minutes and then the rest of the family after the response is given can provide what's called quote unquote feedback. And the feedback can be both positive and negative. So it can get pretty intense. And they can get awkward. These transparency circles can get awkward real quickly and emotional. And people cry both tears of joy and sadness. And again, it can, it can get quite deep. And lots of secrets are revealed. Many fear it. A few love it. But everybody respects it. But it's such a bonding experience that once the circle of transparency ends, everyone has a greater understanding of each other as individuals. There's more collective strength when it comes to tackling tragedies that strike. And 
Overall, there's just more trust. So in today's episode, it's my turn to speak in a circle of fantasy football transparency between me and all of you, my listeners, where I will talk about both my accomplishments and my failures in my draft guide last year. And hopefully this is an effort of transparency and accountability that creates more trust and strength in my work because I know that you have thousands of other options to get fantasy football advice from. And it's an extremely oversaturated market, and I get it. Everybody is claiming to be a fantasy expert nowadays, but I appreciate you enough to be honest and not hide my mistakes. And even if some of them completely sunk your teams last season. So so let's let's get to this. I'm going to go over my own rankings from last year. And rankings are just so tough to analyze because there are so many things wrong about them. Like you can go through a set of ranking sheet from last year, or even last year's ADP, and comment on every player and mention how it was either a great ranking or, well, none of them actually look great, but how it was either a, a decent, solid ranking or a bad ranking or rankings that could have been a ranking of a player could have been good if he didn't get hurt or a ranking that was good for half the season, but not the other half, or this player had a few great games, but didn't really help people win their leagues or this player did have a great season, but sucked in the fantasy playoffs. It's just really tough to evaluate rankings and we don't have that kind of time. Ain't nobody got time for that. So I kind of hate rankings as it is. Last year was the first year that I actually incorporated the top 75 rankings into the draft guide. Normally, I just give out my draft board and it actually excludes a lot of players who I'm lower than consensus experts on or average draft position because I know my readers won't be in position to draft them anyway. So I just don't even put the players on that list. Like I exclude the players I'm down on. What I call it is my small board. And I think providing my small board, aka my draft strategy, is better than providing rankings because it's more clear. Uh, But last year's guy did have a top 75. So instead of going through each ranking one by one, I thought the fairest and most meaningful way to grade the rankings was to look at the outliers, right? Like my bold rankings, the ones that would have caused you to act differently than the rest of your league mates. Because these are the players that if you follow the guide, you likely drafted in your league. So I'm not going to sit here and spit out some BS and say, oh, well, I had Mark Ingram four spots higher than the experts. I had him ranked 53rd overall, and other experts had him at 57. And Ingram finished as a top 10 running back, so look how accurate I am. You know, I'm such a genius for ranking him 53rd instead of 57th. No, I mean, that's not a win. Because if that scenario were true, it actually likely had very imp- or very little impact on the readers of the draft guide because a four-spot difference you know, later in the 50s likely meant that they didn't really draft Ingram at all anyway. So therefore, I think the best way to grade rankings is to see who people most likely ended up with on their teams if they followed the draft guide to a T. So let's get into it. Mm. All right, who's dancing? Come on, who's dancing? You want me, you want me to get it started? I'll get yeah. it started. The good news, starting from number one, you know, I ranked Chris McCaffrey as my number one running back and overall player. At that time, it was kind of a three-way split between Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara. And actually, Barkley was the most common number one pick throughout the experts. So I'm off to a good start here. So if you had picks one through three, you likely ended up with Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Alvin Kamara in that order. So and for total transparency, I'll give personal anecdotes for my season as well uh, to kind of back up or support some of my claims, uh, whether they're good or bad. And I play in six or seven competitive fantasy football leagues that are season long, not including best ball leagues. And I had pick two in two of those leagues and pick three in another one of those leagues. And I ended up with two shares of Christian McCaffrey. So I had McCaffrey in two leagues and then I had Saquon Barkley in one league. So Christian McCaffrey, obviously, the two leagues I had him in, he was the most valuable player in fantasy football by far, by a long shot last year. So he was the definition of literally a league-winning pick. There were very few teams out there who had McCaffrey who did not at least make the postseason. And that's the goal. It's just to give you your, yourself a chance 
to win it all. So luckily, I did have Christian McCaffrey number one overall, followed by Barkley and Kamara. So if you had picks four or five after that, and you followed my guide, you likely ended up with DeAndre Hopkins or Julio Jones. Julio, get the stretch. So I had four and five respectively. I was out on Ezekiel Elliott. I had him in the teens because I was afraid of his holdout, which lasted right until the start of the season. So Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins were my preferred picks there rather than Zeke. And Julio and DeHop were steady. They were not spectacular. Both finished top 10. Both were safe picks, which is what you want in round one. Uh, But neither carried you. And I will admit that I do regret missing out on Ezekiel Elliott in the one league that I did have pick four. I ended up taking DeAndre Hopkins there. And again, Hopkins, you know, provided that safety that you want in round one. But Ezekiel Elliott obviously had the greater season and was way more valuable of a pick than DeAndre Hopkins. So then pick six is where things got really spicy in my draft guide. I had Dalvin Cook ranked sixth overall. And his ESPN ADP was 19th overall. So this was a huge leap of faith. And in every league that I picked after pick two, I ended up with Dalvin Cook on my teams. So I had a ton of Dalvin Cook shares. He was one of my guys, kind of the poster boy of the draft guide, and was one of my best hits of the year, and if not the most impactful, because if you followed my guide, you very likely landed Dalvin Cook in round one, as long as you were picking six through 12 in your draft. And a lot of you were even able to feel out your league and even take somebody else late in round one, maybe like a Julio Jones, maybe like a Xander Hopkins, and end up with Dalvin Cook in round two. That happened for two of my leagues. And Dalvin Cook was a total stud. He finished as RB7, but he averaged 20.9 points per game. He was the RB2 in terms of points per game right behind Christian McCaffrey. And if you had a late pick in round one, the other player you ended up with, according to my God, was either James Conner or Nick Chubb. And I had James Conner as my RB5, seventh overall. And he went a few picks after that in ADP. And I had Chubb as my RB7, 12th overall. Uh, Chubb was more of a mid-second round pick. I think his ADP was like 18th overall. So I was higher on Chubb and Connor. And Connor obviously had the injury plague season. I mean, he busted. I think that's fair to say. Chubb was rock solid. That's what she said. (laughs) Michael. Michael. Michael, please. He He finishes a top 10 running back. So yeah, if you had a late round pick or sorry, if you had a late pick in round one, you likely opened up with Dalvin Cook and then either James Conner or Nick Chubb. And there were two leagues that I actually opened up with Julio Jones and then got Dalvin Cook at like 10 and 14 overall, respectively. But in all my leagues, I had zero shares of other popular round one options. Juju Smith-Schuster, which was a total flop. Odell Beckham, same thing. Devontae Adams, who was pretty good when he played, but he got hurt. Travis Kelsey, Le'Veon Bell, Mike Evans, Tyree Kill, all of those guys. Oh, and unfortunately, Michael Thomas. I had no Michael Thomas on any of my teams last year. So I sincerely apologize for the lack of Michael Thomas, but but it looked pretty good fading the other guys. So, so far, so good in the draft guide, I would say. So we'll move on to late round two. And because, again, you were likely to get some combo of Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Nick Chubb, all the way up until mid-round two. So almost every team that used this draft guide ended up with the player that I had 15th overall on my board, and that was Leonard Fournette. I had Fournette 15th overall. The guy's ADP was 27th overall. So this is a a Dalvin Cook-like jump that I had. So if you had an early pick in round one and either Dalvin Cook or James Conner or Nick Chubb did not make it back to you, you were landing Fournette every time. And oftentimes people were even landing Leonard Fournette in the early part of round three. And Fournette had a career year. Finishes the RB6 overall and it was a smashing success. Played all 16 games. And I had, I want to say, five teams with Leonard Fournette. And two of them... I snatched him in like round three, like I described above. So unfortunately, I cannot rest on my laurels here because the player I had listed 16th overall right after Fournette was Devonta Freeman.
And this was an extremely aggressive stance on Freeman, who most experts had about 25th overall, but in real drafts, his ADP was closer to Fournette's. He was going like in mid-round three. And I had Devonta Freeman 16th overall, which was a huge, grave mistake. So many, many people who followed this guide ended up with Leonard Fournette in round, late round two or early round three, and then Freeman in either mid-round three or even late round three. Sometimes even round four he would slide there, but Freeman was a very popular pick by my readers in like mid to late round three. And that was just a total miss by me. Freeman was. I mean, he just sucked. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. We couldn't make a first down. We couldn't run the ball. We didn't try to run the ball. We couldn't complete a pass. We sucked. I mean, he actually, he stayed healthy. He was RB20 in points per game, but it was even a much uglier season than that based on Definitely based on my expectations. So hopefully most of you were able to grab Fournette in round three as opposed to Freeman, and Freeman didn't make it back to you in round four. But I know a common start, and and I know a start that I had in one league was Christian McCaffrey at pick two overall, then Fournette at like pick 23 overall, and then Freeman at pick, I think it was like 26 overall if you had at pick two in a 12-team league. So that was a common start right there. Pretty good start, like definitely a helpful start. But again, you wasted that third round pick on Freeman who was, you know, you could use him all season, but you weren't really getting much production there. Luckily, the next player I was higher than consensus on was Aaron Jones, who I had at RB12, 21 overall, and his ADP was closer to 36 overall. So Jones finishes the RB2 overall and was obviously a massive league winner. But unfortunately, I only had one team with Aaron Jones on it out of all my teams. And that's because it doesn't do me much good to rank Aaron Jones a lot higher than consensus. I mean, it looks good on paper, but I have him ranked behind Devonta Freeman. So if you actually followed the draft guide, you actually drafted usually Devonta Freeman in round three instead of Aaron Jones. So again, I described the Mark Ingram scenario above where just because you have a player ranked higher in your rankings doesn't mean it's necessarily smart. Yes, it was wise of me to have Aaron Jones 10 or 15 spots higher than consensus. That looks brilliant. But when you read the whole draft guide and you're picking Devonta Freeman in round three instead of Aaron Jones, well, that doesn't look quite so smart, does it? That just ruins the whole situation. So I definitely apologize for that. In hindsight, definitely should have had Aaron Jones over Devonta Freeman. Obviously, I liked both of them last year. Wish I would have gotten more Aaron Jones shares because in that situation you could have actually started your draft Christian McCaffrey, Lennon Fournette, and then Aaron Jones and the league already would have been over after your first three picks. You already would have won but alas Devonta Freeman big miss there so hopefully some of you've ignored that terrible Devonta Freeman advice and picked Aaron Jones higher than consensus experts as I had him uh, seeing as I did a late second round grade on him and he was going in the mid third but because of the likes of Freeman and Fournette Again, I only had Aaron Jones on one team. Sadness there. The next player that I had an aggressive stance on was another total flop, and that was David Montgomery. Ew, David. 23 overall. And wow, I really, you know, excuse my language, I really shat the bed on that one. I mean, because I had readers going running back heavy last season, and Montgomery's ADP was around pick 38 overall, so I had him about 15 spots higher on my board, which is significant considering we're this early in the draft. However, I surprisingly didn't end up with too many Montgomery shares. I I had him on three teams. Sounds like a lot, but I play in a lot of leagues. But I think I would have had him on more had I not basically been opening up RB, RB, RB in most leagues. So at that point, picking Montgomery in the fourth round would have been my fourth straight running back. I would have been opening up the draft with four straight running backs. And I did do that in one league. And that was obviously regrettable. But usually after opening Christian McCaffrey, Fournette and Freeman, or, you know, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb and Fournette, I didn't want to force a fourth running back. So I had wish I had known that kind of going in. I wish I had recognized uh, that because it was a mistake to have Montgomery so high when my board was already tailored so aggressively running back heavy. Like if you followed my board to a T, you likely opened up with four running backs. And that is not something that I would have advised. And that was kind of an oversight on my part. So I need to take that into account for this year's fantasy law guide. The next pick uh, I had 
higher than consensus, was kind of an outlier, was another bust, Sony Michelle. And I really bought into the preseason hype of Michelle being healthy. In fact, both Montgomery and Michelle were August hype picks where I was pretty kind of low. Like I saw them both as like a fourth or fifth round pick going into the offseason after I did my game logging research. And then I just kind of bought into this hype train. And it goes to show you don't always want to hop aboard the hype trains because they often crash. Even if they look good in preseason, even if all the experts are hyping up, even if the team beat riders are hyping them up, they oftentimes crash. I spot the train. I'm taking it out. So Michelle was absolutely useless last season. Huge bust. And I had him on only one team because, again, you know, thank goodness, you know, I stacked run, running backs, three running backs prior to those picks in almost every league. But he and Montgomery were just terrible picks. And hopefully you realize that you shouldn't open your draft for running backs like my guide may have advised you to do. And you went a different route and you avoided David Montgomery and you avoided Sonny Michelle, which were two of the biggest whiffs in my entire draft guide. And unfortunately, it crippled a lot of teams because when you spend that high of draft capital on a player who flops that badly, you know, that is very damaging. I mean, you have to make up for it elsewhere in your draft. But I told you I would be transparent and honest here. So I'm giving you the terrible picks as well as the good ones. So overall, the biggest mistakes so far were going so running back heavy. And hopefully after opening up three running backs, even if Devonta Freeman was one of those running backs, you passed on David Montgomery and Sonny Michelle thinking that, you know, four running backs in the first rounds, that's just too much. Man, there's just no end to these guys. So I'll, again, I'll have to take care of that in this year's draft guide and understand what I'm really advising here. And that's, so, that's one of the reasons that I hadn't done rankings in the past because I think it's easier just to show your strategy and show your board. But if I do rankings again this year, that's definitely something that I have learned myself. So I ended up with no share. Let's moving on. I ended up with no shares of other popular second, third round picks. Joe Mixon, which was okay. Carrion Johnson, he was a huge bust as well. Glad I didn't have him on any teams. Keenan Allen, Todd Gurley. George Kittle, all okay that I missed out on those guys. So let's get back to some smart picks here. Uh, going into wide receivers, got Julian Edelman. I ranked 29th overall at wide receiver 10. He was typically going in round four. Most experts had him at wide receiver 15. Uh, he did finish as a top 10 receiver, and un but unfortunately, I only had one team with Julian Edelman, Edelman on it, probably because I was too busy taking my fourth running back in David Montgomery. But if you follow this draft guide, your wide receiver was likely either Julian Edelman in late round three, early round four, or it was Chris MFing Godwin. And now we're talking here, because Chris Godwin, 19.7 points per game, wide receiver two pace over 15 games. I had him ranked 30th overall at wide receiver 11th. An expert consensus had him at wide receiver 20. His ADP was closer to 50 overall. So if you followed this draft guide, you almost certainly had Chris Godwin on your team, probably as your wide receiver one. And he was one of the biggest hits in the entire draft guide. And I was the only person I knew that had him ranked over guys like Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Amari Cooper. That sounds easy in hindsight, but if you were to tell other experts that you had Godwin over those guys, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. None of them had that. And I, I had tons of Godwin shares. I had zero shares of all the receivers I just named, most of whom busted, who were going earlier than Godwin. And I also had zero shares of Marlon Mack, Chris Carson, and Derrick Henry, that's a shame, but also no Zach Ertz, no Antonio Brown, all going prior to Chris Godwin. Uh, and I was very low on Antonio Brown and Melvin Gordon because of their off-field issues, and it worked with them, and it did not work out with Zeke, as I mentioned. But if you didn't land Chris Godwin, you very likely landed Tyler Lockett because I ranked him as receiver 12 and 31st overall on Tyler Lockett, and he, that was 20 spots higher than expert consensus, where he was a fifth-round pick. So there were two leagues where I ended up with Chris Godwin and Tyler Lockett as my wide receivers one and wide receiver two, respectively. And both were outstanding in 2019. Lockett was a 12, top 12 receiver, and obviously Godwin was a, a top five receiver. And another wide receiver that I was a lot higher on than ADP was Allen Robinson, who I had 46th overall, 
And it doesn't sound that great, but he was going in the late 50s. And his average draft position was actually 62 on ESPN. And I had him 46 overall. So hitting on another top 10 wide receiver, which Allen Robinson ended up being, was huge. When you go running back heavy, it puts a premium on who your mid-round receivers were. And luckily, even though you know I valued Devonta Freeman so high, even though I valued uh, Sony Michelle, David Montgomery, so three big whiffs in round three, despite all that, if you ended up with these two, two of these three wide receivers, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, and Tyler Lockett, you were looking pretty good at this point. But unfortunately... I went away from the mid-round receivers after that, and I went for a mid-round tight end, two of them to be exact, and it was really your choice out of Evan Ingram, who I ranked a shade higher than O.J. Howard. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And I had these guys higher than ADP by at least a round. So you likely ended up with one of them. And Evan Ingram was looking like a huge hit before going down in week eight. I think he was a top five tight end at the time. But OJ Howard, on the other hand, was one of the biggest busts in all of fantasy football. So he's another person who just had a lot of offseason hype. And if I'm learning anything from this exercise, it should be that I'm, I should be fading the August hype here. Uh, after them, Deshaun Watson was my QB2 at 50 overall. And that wasn't a clear-cut thing among the experts. A lot of them had Aaron Rodgers QB2. So I only end up with Deshaun Watson on one or two teams. So I don't think I was high enough on him to really sit here and boast about having Deshaun Watson as my number two quarterback. He did finish as a top four quarterback, which was nice. But the main target I was going for in the quarterback end of the spectrum was, we'll get to later, and that was Carson Wentz. Uh, but I had a few shares in the before we get to him. I had a few shares in like the 50s and 60s of, of Tyler Boyd and DJ Moore, who I was both slightly higher than on ADP, but not enough to really brag about it. Uh, because maybe a few of you landed them on your teams if you were following the guy, but not all of you. I was also low on several receivers who ended up busting in that range, but I was also very low on Kenny Galladay. And that was definitely a regret right there because Kenny Galladay had an outstanding season, especially when Stafford was playing in the first eight games. But even after Stafford got hurt, Galladay was still posting numbers. So two players that you were probably like 85% likely to end up with in your draft, if you followed my draft guide, were Carson Wentz and Curtis Samuel. And I had them right next to each other, like right around like pick round seven. I mean, I love Samuel. And I had him several rounds above ADP and ended up with Samuel on like 80% of my teams, maybe more. And he was a huge miss. And I don't think it was necessarily Samuel's fault. And in fact, you know, I'm going to give my first defense of one of my bad pieces of bad advice here. And Curtis Samuel, you know, Kyle Allen was so bad last year and he ranked last across the league in deep ball accuracy. And he threw Samuel a whopping 20 uncatchable targets of 20 or more yards down the field. So Samuel got the volume spike that I was looking for. I mean, he got 105 targets, and these targets were very valuable. I mean, he was being used like Deshaun Jackson, like as a great deep threat. I think he was top six in air yards. So the amount of yards traveled to him, whether it was completed or not. So he had plenty of opportunity to have this breakout season that I wanted, but again, only 59.2% of the targets that were thrown to Curtis Samuel were deemed catchable. And it was the lowest rate of any wide receiver with 100 or more targets last year. And Matthew Harmon, kind of a wide receiver film study guru with his reception perception, he ranked Curtis Samuel in the 90th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. So Samuel actually did have a good season in reality. But in fantasy, the numbers just weren't there because quarterback situation just didn't allow for it. Cam got hurt. It wasn't in the cards. So coulda, woulda, shoulda, so they say. But anyway, Curtis Samuel did, was not a hit. And Carson Wentz, who I planted my flag on at quarterback, was just a solid pick. Nothing special. 
I thought for sure he was going to be special. I thought he was going to be a top five quarterback. And he wasn't bad. He finished near quarterback 10. He played all 16 games. But he kind of got screwed like Curtis Samuel did because of his situation, right? The Eagles were devastated at the receiver position in the second half of last year. Alshon Jeffrey missed eight games. Deshaun Jackson missed 15 games. Nelson Aguilar missed the final five games. So Wentz, you know, over the final four games, his starting receivers were J.J. Arthurica Whiteside and free agent street pickup Greg Ward. So moving on, you know, you were likely going to end up with Curtis Samuel and or probably, or and I should say, Car- Carson Wentz. They didn't have the seasons that I wanted to have uh, for reasons that I mentioned above, but you know the results are really all that matters. So you can make excuses for all these guys, and I didn't want to make excuses for the early round guys because those were just terrible picks. Wentz and Samuel obviously had opportunities to be great picks, but injuries to either their quarterback or their wide receivers uh, just hurt them in a major way. So moving on, you are not likely not in position using this dra- draft guide to draft Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Damian Williams, who are going right around them, who I was way lower than on the experts. That's probably a good thing. Unfortunately, however, if you missed out on Evan Ingram or OJ Howard at tight end earlier, Vance McDonald was probably your next highest bet to be your tight end following this draft guide. And he was a total flop. So the tight end situation is not looking good, but it does pick up later. So stay tuned for that. And rounding out the top 75, a few players that I included in my top 75 that were nowhere near anyone else's top 75. Uh, Michael Gallup. Giddy up. I ranked him 72 overall on my board, and his ESPN ranking was like 119. So needless to say, and fun fact here, Michael Gallup was the only player in the fantasy universe that I had on every single one of my teams last year. And it's because of that massive rankings discrepancy there. In every single draft, keeper leagues, friendlies, high stakes, low stakes, didn't matter, best ball, you name it, Michael Gallup was on my team. So he was a total steal, and he was one of the best picks in the draft guide, considering the cost, and he finished as wide receiver 18 in points per game, and most experts had him at like wide receiver 45 or 40 or 50-ish in their pre-draft rankings. So... I will take credit for that one. And right behind Michael Gallup in my rankings, I'll take credit for another wide receiver who finally broke out. And he's my boy who I've listed in my breakout or sleeper candidates every year. And he finally did it. John Brown finished in the top 20 wide receivers. ESPN had him ranked 140th overall in their rankings. I had him in my top 75. So another player I had on a lot of teams last year, massive rankings discrepancy there. I definitely hit on John Brown. And the same story uh, goes for Marcus Valdez-Scantling, except for the fact that I did not hit on him. I had Scantling in my top 75. I think ESPN had him like around 110 overall in their final rankings. So, but this one did not work out. We're not going to, we don't really need to get into that, do we? So hopefully you just took the massive discount and drafted Michael Gallup and John Brown and never really had to see Marcus Valdez-Scantling, who disappeared into oblivion last season. So that's my top 75 rankings right there. And I have sections after that I'll go through. And I've noticed I actually did much better uh, like quarterbacks to target after round 10 or sleeper sections for running back, receiver, tight end, and even defense. I was actually fire in those sections and I felt a lot better about them, or they were more accurate, I should say, or more helpful than my actual rankings were. So maybe I'll do more sections, less rankings, or more strategy talk, less rankings in this year's Fantasy Law Guide, but we will see. I'll get into that right now. Quarterbacks after round 10, I listed three of them in this section. My first one was Lamar Jackson. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I, am for real. I had a quarterback eight, ESPN had him, or sorry, consensus ADP had him at quarterback 14. Lamar Jackson, I had a quarterback eight. He was at the top of the quarterbacks after round 10 rankings. And again, if you followed my draft guide, this was probably just quarter, if you missed out on Carson Wentz, because he was the only guy I really had that much higher in my top 75 at the quarterback position. Um, so if you miss, this is basically just saying if you missed out on Carson Lentz, here are the quarterbacks you should draft after round 10. Lamar Jackson was top of the list. That obviously, I don't need to go into why that was such a great pick. Dak Prescott was the second guy on my list. I had him at QB9. 
Overall, he was QB 16 on consensus expert rankings. So Dak Prescott was second on my list after uh, Lamar Jackson. That's quarterbacks one and two for seasonal finishes last year. Here we go! So that's a pretty spectacular list so far. And then Kyler Murray was third. And Kyler Murray finishes QB 8 overall. I had him at QB 11. His, his ADP was QB 17. So to say that I hit on my quarterbacks after around 10 section is a massive, massive understatement. That was one of the finest lists I've really much ever done. And if you go back and you read those descriptions on them, it, it pretty much just hit the nail on the head for all of them, even the reasons why they were going to break out. So let's move on to the running back sleepers section, which was right after that. And I had three headliners for that section. Darwin Thompson and Tony Pollard. Those were the two misses right there. I was so, so, so unbelievably high on Darwin Thompson. I drafted him on like half my teams. Uh, I, I wrote like a page long on why Darwin Thompson could be a league winner, and he was not. You know something? No soup for you. Come back one year. The logic behind this was to because I expected Damian Williams to flop. Like, I was so low on Williams, I was confident that he was going to flop for whatever reason, and he did because of injuries. He just wasn't proven. So my thought process was, hey, let's get the Chiefs' backup running back, Darwin Thompson. He's an explosive guy. He's got good athletic traits. Uh, he was kind of talked up a little by the coaches, and that just did not work out at all. Even after they signed LaShawn McCoy, which put a huge damper into Thompson's outlook and basically just kind of killed him off there. But even after that, the Chiefs, you know, when they were using their third running back, it was Darrell Williams over Darwin Thompson. Darwin Thompson barely played. So that was a huge miss. Luckily, it was probably a pick far after pick 100 for you guys. Tony Pollard was another huge miss. That Tony Pollard was Ezekiel Elliott insurance in case Zeke held out, and he did not hold out. And he actually played all 16 games. So Tony Pollard, in theory, was a great handcuff and would have been a top probably 10 fantasy running back had Ezekiel Elliott held out or gone down, but he did not. So he was an insurance policy that you spent money on and never really had to use, which is probably the case with most insurance policies, if we're being honest. But either way, so I had three headliners for uh, running back sleepers section. Darwin Thompson, Tony Pollard. My third headliner was Devin Singletary. I saved the best for last there. And he had an ESPN ranking of 172 overall. I advise my readers to draft him anywhere after pick 100. And Devin Singletary was a real nice hit, especially because he finished strongly. So if you're able to keep Devin Singletary through his hamstring injury where he missed three games to start the season, you're able to put him on IR, you were able to have Devin Singletary in your starting lineup for the fantasy playoffs, and that was very helpful. So Devin Singletary helped people win their leagues for sure. So let's move on to the wide receiver sleepers. Top two guys that I had on this list, and the two guys that I even wrote paragraphs about, the other uh, wide receiver sleepers I just listed. John Brown, uh, who I've already talked about and discussed, and I kind of double dipped on him there because I had him ranked in my top 75, I believe. And then I had also had him listed in my top wide receiver sleepers. So I really wanted you to get John Brown on your teams. Luckily, that ended up working out. DK Metcalf. Was my other wide receiver that I listed as a wide receiver sleeper here in this section. So this is a section just like my quarterback's Quarterbacks after round 10 that went swimmingly well uh, to have only two guys spelled out in details and for the at wide receiver sleepers for them to be John Brown, DK Metcalf, that's outstanding work. And DK Metcalf uh, was a nice hit uh, for fantasy football players. So this is where it gets really awesome for me. Tight end sleepers. I wrote an entire half a page on why the number one tight end sleeper this year is Darren Waller. He was the headliner there. And others to consider, I mentioned Austin Hooper, who was a huge, massive success. Then I mentioned Jimmy Graham. Womp, womp. No success there. But then I also mentioned Mark Andrews. Those were the four tight ends that I mentioned in my tight end sleeper section. Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, Austin Hooper, and Jimmy Graham. So three out of four. They were three of the four most valuable players in really all 
of fantasy football last year. Waller, Hooper, and Mark Andrews were. So I definitely nailed that section just like I nailed quarterbacks after round 10. If you were following my draft guide, you know maybe you were hit or miss for the top half of your draft, but you after picks, you know I would say 90 or 100 after you took Michael Gallup and John Brown, you were nailing some of these late round sleeper picks. I mean, the second half of your drafts was where you were able to confidently say following my draft guide that you gained a massive edge over your competitors in the in this in the later rounds of your draft because again because I will go into my defenses right now where I only listed like five defenses most of them were just streamer options that really didn't hit but my top rated defensive defense slash special teams was the New England Patriots they were defense nine at the time on consensus rankings and I had them as my defense number one and I mentioned the reason for it that they were a top 10 defense for seven of the last nine years, and they opened up with such a soft slate of opponents with no quarterbacks. I, I specifically mentioned weeks two through six, Miami, the Jets, Buffalo, Washington, and New York. And that's exactly when it ended up coming to fruition. New England feasted on these quarterbackless teams, and they went on to average a whopping 20 points per game. And they won a fantasy's MVPs through eight games, and they finished as DST one. So... I wish that I had New England defense on more than two of my teams. But luckily, using my own draft guide, I did have a fair share of Darren Waller's. You know, I had Mark Andrews on one or two teams. I had Austin Hooper on one or two teams. Uh, But Darren Waller, I had on like three or four teams. Looking great in the late rounds for sure, but it gets even better. And this is the last part of the guide. The last part of the fantasy draft guide last year is I listed six deep league dart throws. And that was a subsection. I totally whiffed on four of them, and I won't even mention their names because, honestly, they are names that you may have not even heard of. That's how bad they were. But two of them were big hits. One was McCall Hardman, who was streamable at times, but he wasn't necessarily really a league winner because he was so inconsistent. You never really knew when he was going to have that 50-yard touchdown because if he didn't get it, he was getting like one catch for 11 yards. But the other deep sleeper that I listed, and I think it was my number three on my list, was Terry McLaurin. And McLaurin was being drafted after pick 190. And I recommended taking McLaurin anywhere after 150. So McLaurin was on, I drafted him actually on two leagues as like my last round pick, which was amazing. But also the main, the, I, the two other leagues I had McLaurin on, I had a lot of McLaurin last year, was mainly because just I was high on him and listed him as a deep sleeper. So when he did break out in week one, remember he had like 125 yards and a touchdown or two in week one against the Eagles. When he did break out, I knew that it wasn't a fluke. Or I wouldn't say I knew that it wasn't a fluke. I guess it was a little confirmation bias, if you will, but it made me more likely to spend up the fab money, the free agent uh, auction money on him because I was already targeting him as a guy I was watching or keeping on my radar for the last couple of rounds and drafts anyway. I, and I want to mention something that, you know, when I go back, this always strikes me as so shocking when I go back and I read my draft guides. And that is, you can follow the same draft guide religiously and like it's the Bible, and you can wind up with two totally different teams depending on your draft flow. Like depending on who was there or how you played out the strategy. I mean, your team could have either been the greatest fantasy team ever assembled using my draft guide, or it could have been a terrible squad filled with busts. Like you're scrapping at the bottom dweller seller of your league. For example, let me give you an example. And without any bias whatsoever, I'm going to give you an honest assessment. These are realistic teams that you could have drafted using my guide. First, I'm going to give you a team where if everything went right in your draft and you were using my guide, this is the team you could have ended up with. Let's say you had pick two, Christian McCaffrey, pick two overall. Then it's possible Dalvin Cook's ADP was 19 overall. It's possible he lasted you in round two. You could have started, the if you were using my guide, You and that happened, you would have started Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook. But let's say Cook wasn't there and you ended up with Nick Chubb in round two. Or let's say you have a late pick and you end up with Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb. Great start either way. And then round three, Leonard Fournette. Round four, Chris Godwin. Round five, Tyler Lockett. Round six, Allen Robinson. 
let's say you took Carson Wentz in round seven. I didn't really have that great round seven. It was either Wentz or, or Curtis Samuel. So let's say you took Carson Wentz in round seven. In round eight, let's say you reached on Michael Gallup, like my guy told you to. And then round nine, let's say you reached on Devin Singletary. And then round 10, maybe you just weren't sold on Carson Wentz. Or maybe round 10 or 11, you picked Lamar Jackson, the first quarterback I said to pick after round 10. Maybe John Brown in round 11. DK Metcalf, I listed as both of them as sleepers, round 12. And then you followed my tight end sleeper guide. Maybe you picked Darren Waller. Heck, maybe you picked Mark Andrews. Maybe you picked Austin Hooper. Maybe you weren't sure about any of them, so you picked two of them in rounds like 13 and 15. And then you say the best for last. You pick the Patriots defense in round 14 as my top-rated defense. That team, McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, Allen Robinson, Carson Wentz, Michael Gallup, Devin Singletary, Lamar Jackson, John Brown, DK Metcalf, Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, Austin Hooper, Patriots. If you could have gotten all of them, and if you would have had that team, you would have shattered fantasy football records in existence with that team. But let me give you the other scenario. Let me give you the opposite end of the spectrum. You can use the same draft guide, my same guide. Let's say you had pick five and you took DeAndre Hopkins over Dalvin Cook because I did have DeAndre Hopkins uh, fourth or fifth overall and Dalvin Cook was sixth overall even though his ADP was 19. So let's say you had pick five, you took, you followed the guide, you picked DeAndre Hopkins, then you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, you know, Nick has Dalvin Cook sixth overall, so I really want Dalvin Cook in the second round to fall to me. That would be a nice start. And it would have been, but let's say somebody took Dalvin, uh, Dalvin Cook, and then you're left with Nick Chubb or James Conner, but you decide to go with James Conner, who I had rated higher than Nick Chubb. So now you're opening with DeAndre Hopkins, James Conner. And then let's say Fournette wasn't there in the middle of round three. So now guess what time it is? It's Devonta Freeman time. And hey, you took a wide receiver in round one, so you don't really need one in round four. Chris Godwin, nah, I'll pass. Why would I have Chris Godwin when I could slide David Montgomery into my flex. And then in round five, maybe you'll end up with Tyler Lockett. You probably would have ended up with Tyler Lockett either way because regardless of my board, you know, I didn't really have anyone else in round five you'd reach for. So let's say you end up with Tyler Lockett. Okay, good for you. But again, so far you have DeAndre Hopkins, James Conner, Devonta Freeman, and David Montgomery. But yeah, you got, you got Tyler Lockett in round five. And then round six, O.J. Howard. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Oh, yeah. O.J. Howard. I drafted him on three teams. I was guilty of that as well. And then round seven, let's say you picked up Carson Wentz. And then round eight, let's say Curtis Samuel was there. So you're like, oh, score. I get both Wentz and Curtis Samuel. And then let's say you end up, you know, round nine, I really left you no choice of really taking Michael Gallup. So, okay, good. You have two good picks on your team. You got Michael Gallup and Tyler Lockett. And I guess you have DeAndre Hopkins. Sure, whatever. But round 10, you know, I mentioned all this time that, you know, I did such a great job uh, with a later uh, portion of the draft. Well, that doesn't mean there weren't some picks that were terrible. Round 10, Darwin Thompson. I mentioned you got to reach aggressively for Darwin Thompson. That's what I said. Anytime after pick 100, I said Darwin Thompson should be an aggressive target for you. So Darwin Thompson, round 10. Round 11, let's go back with who I mentioned who shall not be named earlier, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Round 12, let's go with another sleeper running back I had, Tony Pollard. Round 13, let's go with one of my sleeper quarterbacks. I drafted him on three teams. That was Sam Darnold. He was my third quarterback in like three different super flex leagues that I was in. In round 14, let's go with another deep sleeper running back that I listed, Justice Hill. And then you're to the defense section and you want to take a defense and maybe New England's gone. So now you got to go to the number two defense on my board, which is the Los Angeles Chargers. Good old defense number 21 last season at a 32. So yeah, two completely different scenarios, like two different worlds, but same draft guide. Same draft guide. You could have been a fantasy football god following my draft guide, or you could have been a total chump. So what's the point of all this? The point is everybody has hits and misses. And the biggest takeaway should be that the rankings in general are historically horribly inaccurate. And oftentimes, when somebody has a bold prediction or ranking, it's not as crazy as it sounds. And these wildly inaccurate rankings directly drive average draft position. And they directly determine and influence where players are drafted in your fantasy football leagues. 
So think about that for a second. Where players are drafted in your fantasy leagues are determined by expert rankings that almost invariably, inevitably always turn out to be shitful. No matter how smart the expert is, you can go look up your smartest experts that you know rankings from last year. They will look terrible. But that's what's driving average draft position. So don't be afraid to reach on players that you love. And always remember this perceived notion of quote unquote value, you know, value, getting value in fantasy football or getting value out of your picks. It's such an extremely overrated concept. And it's one of the most flawed narratives in all of fantasy football. It's nice to get the best value for your picks. Sure. But at the end of the day, that doesn't even matter. Because at the end of the day, it's not about when you draft players. It's about who you draft. Not about when. Doesn't matter when you pick them, really. It matters who you pick. Because when you look back on the season, picks are generally big hits or total whiffs, total misses. And everybody misses on players, no matter how smart you are, because no one can predict the future. Injuries, etc. O.J. Howard, Curtis Samuel, James Conner, Devonta Freeman, David Montgomery, Sony Michelle, Darwin Thompson, Sam Darner, all players I loved last year. And I drafted them on several of my teams. But those misses are cut and replaced anyway. And that's why the hits matter more. Because the hits are what get you in position to win your league. You can always replace or cut your the misses. The hits are what matters. So the experts that are telling you to draft the right players... The experts that are putting you in position to make sure you draft the right players, the hits, those are the ones, those are the experts you want to follow. And though I did have some big misses, I believe my draft guy did accomplish that last season with aggressive rankings and stances on Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, Allen Robinson, Michael Gallup. I had higher ranks on those players than every expert out there, and my headliner picks for round 10 onward, included Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray at quarterback, Darren Waller as the sleeper tight end. I mentioned Mark Andrews. I mentioned Austin Hooper as sleeper tight ends. John Brown, DK Metcalf as sleeper receivers. Patriots defense, my number one defense, Terry McLaurin, one of my deep league dark throws. So overall, it was a very strong season filled with big hits. And my personal 2019 league results also reflect that. I had a great year last year in my own fantasy leagues. So speaking of that, I'll read my 2019 results for those who are wondering, and I don't do it in a boastful manner. Yeah, I had a good year last year, better year than usual, but I've, you know, I recognize terrible years too. Don't even talk to me about 2015 because that was just a tragic, sad display of fantasy football there. But I do this. And I'm doing this entire podcast today because I think it's extremely important to be transparent and to be accountable, and I wish experts did this more. But first, I want to read a quote from a guy on Twitter, and I don't have his username. I really wish I did because I love this quote. I wrote it down. I liked it so much. It's like from three or four years ago. But here's the quote that really stuck with me and is important for advice, and I always put it at the end of my draft guides. Here it is. He says, My number one piece of advice to fantasy football players, learn to sift through the accounts that you follow. Taking advice from the wrong people can destroy your team. Just because somebody has a platform does not mean they are good at this, nor that they can help you win. Some financial investors can make you very rich and others can lead you to bankruptcy. It is your responsibility to determine which advice is worth following. That being said, nobody ever is ever 100% correct all of the time, but some are right more often than others. And it takes many years to learn this. By choosing to pay for a subscription, you are hiring a consultant. Don't be afraid to ask somebody what their track record is. Ask to see some of their teams and results in their industry leagues. You wouldn't pay for fitness or nutrition advice from somebody who is morbidly obese And you wouldn't pay for financial advice from somebody who is homeless. This is not any different. It's a performance-based industry and participation ribbons do not count. Winning does. And the experts that help you put your team in position to win year in and year out should be the standard. Don't be afraid to question somebody's credibility. If they're really good, they will be proud to show their work. And that 
has stuck with me for a long time and I want to be proud to show my work. So here is my work. I was in five competitive season-long fantasy football leagues last year and one was a high-stakes league, two were low-stakes leagues, and two that I'm not including in there, also two additional best ball leagues that I did finish first in. And I freaking love best ball leagues. I wish Louisiana allowed you to enter best ball leagues for money, like on Underdog and on Sleeper apps. Uh, it's Best ball is becoming all the rage in fantasy football right now, by the way. It would be more so in Louisiana as you could actually put money down on best ball leagues, but you're not allowed to from a legal perspective. That will change in the next three years if I had to bet on it myself, speaking of putting money down. But anyway, I digress. Last year, my overall season-long records were 9-5, and 12-2, 12-2, 10-4, I made the playoffs in all five leagues and finished top three in points for all five leagues, which is excellent, obviously. Uh, but I only won one championship last year. I only got one ring last year, unfortunately, in my in my five leagues, if you exclude the best ball leagues. I got second, and I got two-thirds, and I got one-fourth in the others. My overall regular season record was 51-18. and 18. And here is my overall record since 2010. And yes, I do track this stuff uh, because obviously I'm, I'm very big on accountability um, and credibility. And by the way, you know, I'll have all this on the fantasy law guide. Uh, and that's what, you know, I'm calling my draft guide this year. I'll have all this info on the last few pages. In, since 2010, 59 competitive leagues that I've been in. My overall record is 544 and 270. And that is a 0.66 eight win percentage in the regular season. And I made the postseason in 48 of 59 leagues. And that is an 81.3% playoff rate. And that's the number I'm actually most proud of out of all this because playoff appearances are what I value the most because I just want to be in position to win. You never know what can happen in the playoffs, especially if you have a wonky playoff system. But 81 the fact that you know 81.3% of the time that I enter a competitive fantasy football league, I'm making the playoffs, that's something that you know I care about a lot. And that's something that I value a lot. And it's something, honestly, quite frankly, I'm extremely proud of. Uh, so standings finishes. Okay, I'm about to drop a lot of numbers here. These are standings finishes since 2010. Uh, I have 24 first places, 12 seconds, 5 thirds, 5 fourths, 5 fifths, that's kind of weird. Uh, four sevenths, two eighths, one ninth, and one twelfth. Yes, I did in fact finish last place in a league one time, 12th out of 12. I'm totally embarrassed and totally ashamed. Coaching, we're all, all, our coaching did a horrible job. The players did a horrible job. We got our ass kicked in that second half. It sucked. It stunk. And I, I think it was like three, or, 3 and 11 or something like that. I think it was like eighth in points. But what a nightmare season that was. And to this day, that was in 2015, as I mentioned. And to this day, I remain embarrassed and ashamed by that. Uh, but another thing I find interesting about that is, out of all the finishes since I've been tracking this, uh, I've never finished sixth in the league before, sixth place. I got five-fifths, you know, four-sevenths, but never sixth. So I think that's pretty peculiar, a fun little fact there. And in points finishes... Uh, which I think are pretty indicative also of how good uh, a, team, a fantasy team was. Uh, points finishes, I have 28 first, 13 seconds, 7 thirds, 2 fourths, 5 fifths, 2 sevenths, 2 eighths. And that's it. So I've never, I've also never finished sixth in points either. What, that, that is just very odd. I'm just allergic to sixth place, whether it's in points or standings. And fortunately, even on that team that was 3 and 11 and got last place, I have never finished from 9th through 12th in, in points for my season, which is another stat that I'm very proud of. So even my worst year ever, out of 59 leagues, my worst year ever, I was still 8th in points. So obviously, 28 first places and 13 seconds and 7 thirds in points. That makes up 48 top 3 finishes in points out of 59 leagues which is another stat that I've calculated that I'm also proud of. Uh, but that is it. I mean, that is total transparency. I mean, we have completed the transparency circle. So hopefully 
next year is as good, or this year, I should say, is as good as last season. But again, I will admit, last year was one of my better fantasy football years in the last 10 years. It wasn't my best, but it was one of my better ones. But all right, uh, enough about me. Let's end the show with a juicy fantasy nugget. All right, today's fantasy nugget of the show. Josh Allen was the fantasy QB6 in 2019, and he was QB11 in fantasy points per game last year. That is not the fantasy nugget. Oh, by the way, this nugget comes from Ian Hartitz of ProFootballFocus.com. So Josh Allen, QB6 last year, despite never having reached 270 passing yards in a game. He has never thrown for 270 passing yards in a single game, yet he was quarterback six last year, and he has four times as many contests with zero passing scores as he does with three passing touchdowns. Eight games with zero passing touchdowns, only two games with three passing touchdowns in his whole career, and yet the rushing floor is just so high that he's just difficult to fade. He's had at least eight rushing touchdowns in his two seasons in the NFL. And here's the most crucial part. Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick are the only quarterbacks to have more average, more rushing yards per game than Josh Allen in the history of the NFL. That's right. Only Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick, more rushing yards per game on average in the history of the game. And that, brought to you by Ian Hart's as a Pro Football Focus, is your fantasy nugget of the day. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed the Transparency Circle today, but that is it for today's episode. Hey, please do me a favor. If you like listening to this podcast, please hit the subscribe button, give me a five-star rating, and even leave a positive review. Uh, a, a buddy of mine, Alex, left an amazing review, and I just really thank y'all so much for doing that kind of thing. It really helps a young podcast grow, and I appreciate all of you for listening. See you.